Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. So we are in week two of this series that we're calling Chasing Happiness. And I, my hope is that after last week, you guys are a lot happier today, right? Is that the case? All right. Let's talk about money. Maybe we can wreck that for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Everyone loves a good money message. Now, uh, if it is your first time here, let me sort of catch you up to speed on the conversation that we've been having. So this idea of chasing happiness, um, after having conversations with some friends and some family, after sort of seeing, you know, what we're posting on social media, whether it's Facebook or, or, or Instagram, it became clear to me that we are, and I would just say all of us, whether you want to admit to it or not, are, are, we're chasing after happiness. And I think based on what I've seen and what I've heard, we're chasing after happiness in a number of ways. I think we chase after happiness uh, professionally with our careers. I think we chase after happiness with um, exercising. I think we chase after happiness with, with dieting. I think we chase after happiness with possessions and our bank accounts and traveling. And here's the thing. None of these things are wrong. None of them are legal. None of them are immoral. And I would make the argument that these things do, in fact, bring you some happiness. But the happiness they bring is fleeting. It's not deep and abiding. It's, it's, just, it's not always with you. And so what we've been doing is having a conversation about what does God have to say about happiness? I mean, if God created happiness, if God created our capacity to have and feel joy, well, maybe it might behoove us to kind of listen in to find out what God has to say about attaining happiness, about our pursuit of happiness. So last week, we kind of landed on this idea that when it comes to happiness, that happiness is an outcome. It's a result. It's something that uh, is less about immediate and more ultimate. It doesn't happen right out of, out, of the, out of the gate. And to have this conversation, we took a look at the Beatitudes. These are the couple of sound bites, if you will, that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. These, all these phrases that are short and start with the word blessed or blessed. And we learn that these little phrases, um, this blessed actually means happy. And this conversation that Jesus was having 2,000 years ago, what he was handing out with every single one of these beatitudes was a divine seed for happiness. And if you plant it, if you water it, if you take care of it, if you cultivate it, eventually, not immediately, but eventually, it, you can reap happiness. Happiness will grow in your life. And these Beatitudes, I don't know about you, but led, at least in my life, led to some interesting conversations. I was speaking to folks today, and they were saying, you know, all week long I was referencing the, the Beatitudes. And in my house, uh, my wife and I were kind of sort of rehashing the message and talking about, you know, which Beatitudes are you excelling in? Because hopefully we're, we're doing well in some of them. Um, what you excelling in and what you, you know, you're not, you need to work on. And Maybe around Thursday, I was in the kitchen, and I was scrolling through Instagram, and I was losing my mind about something, because that's what happens when I'm on Instagram. And, you know, and I was, like, yelling and screaming about something that I had seen, and she comes into the kitchen, and she goes, you know, you're not being very meek right now. And I was like, I'm not interested in being meek right now, all right? So we've all got some work that we've got to do in our lives. But today, sort of the topic that I want to talk about is this um, sort of element that I believe you find in every single person that is truly happy. That's peace. When you sort of have that 
right? That deep breath, lower your shoulders, kind of peace in your life. Those people are really happy. And you look at them, right? And it doesn't matter what's going on in their life. It could be good or bad. Or it's just like they're always, they're calm, they're at peace. Nothing seems to rattle them. But you look at your life, their life and you're like, I don't know if I'd be as peaceful as you are. I don't know how you're so calm based on what I'm seeing in your current circumstance. And yet, they are peaceful. And because they are peaceful, they are happy. And when you don't have peace, you know it, you don't have happiness. And when you kind of look at these happy, peaceful people, you begin to see a pattern kind of come across. You, you begin to see that they're, 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 they have peace at, let's call it, multiple levels. Number one, happy people are at peace with themselves. When it just comes to their own life and their own person, they're just, they're fine. They are just good with, with who they are. Now, you look at these people, right? And I'll say something that I know you're all thinking, but I'll articulate it because that's, you know, what I'll do. You look at them and they're at peace with themselves and you're like, well, I'm in better shape than you are. I don't have that, right? Or I'm prettier than you are. Or my clothes are cooler than your clothes. Or my, my car is nicer than, 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 than your car. And yet, unlike you, they have something that you don't. They are happy. They're at peace with themselves. And you might never admit this, but you want what they have. You want peace with yourselves. Happy people are at peace with themselves. Happy people are also at peace with others. We talked about this last week. Happy people are not bitter. Happy people do not hold a grudge. Happy people extend forgiveness. Jesus in his Beatitudes, look, he goes, look, happy people, they're the ones who extend mercy to those around them particularly those who don't deserve it, right? That person we're talking about last week, you have to extend mercy to those people. Lastly, there is one thing that I believe that truly happy people are at peace with. And when I talk about this happiness and peaceful, these are people that have that deep, abiding sense of happiness. These people are at peace with God. And this is where I want to land today. This is important because when we talk about peace with God, we see a number of things in the New Testament that are sort of byproducts of having peace with God. Two principles, if you will, that occur when you have peace with God. The first thing is that when you have peace with God, it paves the way to peace with ourselves. So if you are a person that, let's say, doesn't have peace in your life, chances are it's because of something in your past. Chances are there's something in your past that you keep dragging into your present. You can't seem to get away from it. Every time you look over your shoulder, it's there. It just looms over you like a black cloud. You just seem like you, I just can't seem to get away from my past. But when you make peace with God, one of the things that you learn is that God, right, when he forgives you, no longer holds your past against you. And that frees you up to no longer hold your past against yourself. See, when you have peace with God, when you learn that the man, who, the God who has created you, when he has forgiven you, you find the freedom to begin for, uh, forgiving yourselves. I would be as bold as to say is that when you finally say yes to Jesus, when you finally have the forgiveness that comes from saying yes to Jesus as he hung on that cross, I would make the argument that you have lost the right to not forgive yourself. Now, isn't that a freeing notion? The other thing we see is that peace with God 
equips us to make peace with ourselves. So when you sort of look at the New Testament, when, it, when they begin sort of speaking into the lives of Christians, the New Testament authors and Jesus himself begins to paint a picture of an ethic that we are to live by. And that ethic is simple. It's you must do unto others as God has done unto you. Now, you've heard the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and that's good. But this is the platinum rule, okay? This is the, this is the level up. This is God looking at us and saying, you need to do unto others as I have done unto you through my son, Jesus Christ. Which means, if you've been forgiven by Jesus, you need to forgive other people. If you have been made right with the living God, you are required to do whatever it takes to make it right with the people around you. This is why we say that peace with God equips us to have peace with other people. We are challenged and even required to make things right. So these are the two principles you're going to want to watch for today as we begin to have this conversation about finding peace with God. So when you sort of use this phrase, peace with God, and particularly finding peace with God, that alludes to something, right? There's an assumption there. And the assumption is that we don't currently have peace with God. And when you don't have peace, you have a conflict. Nobody likes conflicts, okay? The real housewives like conflicts, but that's a different sermon. We did that one last week, although that was the most popular one, that part. Anyway, all right? Nobody likes conflicts, But Jesus says, and the New Testament authors say, that we as humans have a conflict with God. And in fact, our conflicts are at two levels. The first conflict we have is sin, and the second conflict we have is your sin, your specific sin. So let's kind of kick off by just talking about sin for a moment here. And um, when I say sin... I'm sort of talking about the general sin in this world. You may have heard it called sort of the original sin, this sin that sort of infects everything down to every single cell. I'm going to talk about that for a moment because it's a little bit of a confusing idea to understand what is sin out there and all, what does that even mean? The best way to understand this, okay, just work with me on this analogy here. The best way to understand sort of original sin, if you will, is to think about the nation in which you were born. So for me, I was born in America. And because I was born in America, that makes me an American. I'm a citizen of the country of America. Now, I didn't get a choice in the matter. I didn't choose to be born in America. And you could argue that that's unfair. It's unfair that you didn't get a choice to to be born. But whether it's unfair or not, it doesn't change the fact that I was still born. And, And it spotlights a very interesting sort of concept that I think people struggle with. And it's this, that just because something is unfair doesn't make it untrue. Just because something is unfair doesn't make it untrue. And in the same way, something can be unfair and still be true. And that trips people up when it comes to sort of the things of God and particularly the problem of evil. So I was born in America. I'd never choice in the matter, but because I was born here, I am a citizen of this country. And along the same lines, the scripture says that every single human was born in the nation of sin. My words, not the scripture's words. You didn't have a choice. You could yell that it's unfair. The scripture says it's true. 
So because I was born in America, that makes me an American. And the scripture says that because you were born in the nation of sin, that makes you a sinner. Makes you a sinner. By birth, you are a sinner. Scripture says that we have a sin nature. Every single one of us has a sin nature. Paul, one of the New Testament authors, speaks about this sin nature. He says this, when Adam, now Adam is the first man, and Jesus believed in Adam, so if Jesus believes in Adam, I believe in Adam. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, which speaks to the idea that there was a point in time when there was no sin in the world. But sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. And I don't just mean physical death. And you've seen this in your own life. You've seen sin kill things. You've seen sin kill relationships. You've seen sin kill marriages. You've seen sin kill careers and finances. You've seen sin tear apart bodies with addictions. You've seen sin wreak havoc on self-esteem. What Paul is trying to get across to us is that whenever sin comes to, you know, rears its head in your life, death follows close behind. He continues. So death spread to everybody. That's the nation of sin. No one is immune to it. It's everywhere. For everyone sinned. What Paul is saying here is that part of the reason that we as humans do not have peace with God is that we were simply born in the wrong nation. We were simply wrong, born in the wrong nation. We were born in the kingdom of sin. And scripture paints this picture that there is a huge divide between the nation of sin and the nation of God. Sort of the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of God. You can think about America and Britain, this unpassable ocean, though, in our circumstance. And what scripture shows us is that Jesus came specifically to come into our lives so that we could leave the nation of sin and enter into the kingdom of God. But for this to happen, something needs to take place. And this thing that needs to take place is a, is a phrase that I think rubs a lot of Christians the wrong way, particularly sort of American Christians. Jesus says, look, 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 if you want to leave the nation of sin, okay, if you want to cross that great divide and get into my Father's kingdom, you need to be born again. I don't like this word sometimes. This word kind of has some negative connotations as Americans, because when we think of born again, what do we think of? We think of like whack jobs, Right? You know it. I'm sorry. Okay, we think of those zealous people, oh, those born-agains. And when you kind of think of the spectrum of Christianity, let's be honest, you got your Catholics here, you got your evangelicals here, and then you got your born-agains here. And the more you make your way down this line, the more unbearable they are to be with, okay? But Jesus is saying, no, you got it wrong, all right? He goes, I don't want to burst your bubble, but if you said yes to me, mm, you're born again, okay? He goes, you have to understand, this is Jesus talking to us, as a human, you were born into the nation of sin. And if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you need to be reborn into that nation. You need an entirely new passport. Paul teases this concept out a little bit more. He says this, for he, he's speaking about God here, for God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That is that nation of sin, kingdom of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And this phrase he has is so important 
Because this lets us know that God is the one who has done this for us. God himself is the one who reached out across that great divide and offered us peace. Not because of who we are, not because of the things that we've done, simply because he loves us and he sent his son Jesus to accomplish this. He continues. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, that peace that we are all searching for because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. There it is again, what he has done for us. Why do we have peace? Not because you're a good person. Not because you go to church every Sunday. Not because you've completed all the sacraments. We have peace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, specifically on the cross. So to sort of sum all of that up, you could say this, Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. It doesn't begin with you making yourself into a better person because acting righteous doesn't make you righteous. Just like if I were to start speaking with a, you know, a British accent, it doesn't make me sound British. It just sounds stupid, okay? This is, like, this is terrible. I don't know what that was right there. Usually I'm fairly good at accents. I got a little nervous. Guy put me a pressure on me. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, you cannot, this is important to understand. He goes, you cannot, you cannot move yourself from one kingdom into the next. He goes, that can only happen through faith in Jesus. It's the only way you're going to cross that great divide. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that because there are some people, and I know them when I talk to some of my friends and they find out that I work at a church, and I, I, you know, we talk about Jesus, and they go, you know, i got to be honest with you. And they, I, they go, I find Jesus to be a little bit of a cop-out. And I go, explain to me why. They go, well, I want to be responsible for my own life. I did these things, and I feel like, you know, just saying yes to Jesus, this idea of wiping the slate clean, I, I don't, I don't, that, no, that's not, that's not for me. I want to be responsible for my own, you know, my own bad actions or whatever they want to say. And I look at them, and I go, you know, i got to be honest with you. I got to give you credit for that. I mean, right? That's, I, I, I like to see people trying to take responsibility for their own actions. But I say, that just doesn't, it, doesn't work like that, though. Right? And, and, I'm, and I'm glad it doesn't because let me, just, let me just tease that out for you, just so you understand what you're getting yourself into if you say that you want to make things right with God. Because if you want to make things right with God, if you want to atone for your sins, because that's what you're saying, let me tell you what you won't have. You're not going to have peace. Because based on what the scripture says, your sins are so huge that you would have to work for the rest of your life trying to work those sins off, and you would never know if you've done enough. You would have no time to have a job. You'd have no time to travel. You'd have to spend every waking hour trying to make it up to God for what you've done and for the sin that is just in this world. You would die, never having the peace and the assurance of knowing that you have done enough. And so isn't it a blessing? Isn't it a gift that God says, look, 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 I can make this all right for you. I sent my son to atone for you. You don't need to make it right. You just need to say yes to my son and he'll hand you that passport. The doors are wide open. Will you come? That's one part of the conflict. That's sin at large. But let's talk about your sin. And when I say your sin, I mean your specific sin, those behaviors, those attitudes, those things in our life that I believe personally are impacting our peace with God. 
understanding this, the, the best way to understand this, um, the analogy that I would use, right? Think about family for a second. Think about your family. Or if you didn't have a great family, you could just think about the idea of a family, the sort of the abstract notion of what a family is. But every single family has rules. Would you agree? Every family has rules. And when you were a kid, you felt like your family had more rules than anybody else, all right? And your one friend whose family had no rules, that's whose house you hung out on a Friday night, right? You just, the basement, no parents, they didn't care whatever you did, that's why you went there, okay? But every family has rules. I think we can agree on that. And as children, we look at our family's rules and we think they're arbitrary. They're just, they, they make no sense and they're arbitrary. But there's a rhyme and reason to the rules that your family has. When your family, when your mom, when your dad, when your parents, when they give you these rules, they do it for a number of reasons. Number one, they give you rules because they love you. They give you rules because if you obey these rules, it will keep you on the straight and narrow. And if you obey these rules, these rules will help turn you into the best possible version of yourself. But when you're six years old, when you're 12, when you're 16, you don't see that right? You don't see that. And so rules, what do we do with rules? We push back. And when you push back against rules, you remember what happens. It disturbs the peace. All of a sudden, it's not that fun in that house anymore, right? And I can guarantee at some point in your life, you didn't have peace with your parents primarily because they told you no. No, okay? No, but, but no, okay? Not going to happen. And you're mad and you're stomping your feet, all right? And then you reason. Here's the reasoning, okay? You're all hot and bothered. And you reason. You go, look, 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 mom, here's it. We would have peace in this house if you just, if you just let me do whatever I want to do, right? I, I wouldn't have to slam the doors, okay? You wouldn't have to pour that glass of wine and, and scream like for crying out loud, okay? <laughs> okay? Okay? Listen, mom, dad, parents, here, 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 understand. Just so you understand, listen to me. This could all go away if you just let me go away. This could all stop. All the screaming, all the yelling, all the, the door slamming, all right? This could all go away. You just let me do whatever I want to do. Now, that's a very tempting offer for parents. I mean, it really is. Because parents, what do you want? You just want peace too. Nobody wants to live in tension. Nobody wants stress in there, right? And so they consider this offer. And they think, you know what? Honestly, if we let them do whatever they want to do, we will 100% have peace right now, for sure. But we will 100% have problems down the road. 100%. And so one of the hardest things that parents have to do and get their minds around is this idea that they got to sacrifice peace for the benefit of the child they love. Parents, how much easier would life be when curfew comes around? And it's like, curfew? Nah. Come on, whatever you want. You know, or don't come home. Not a problem. Whatever. You know, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay? Boys in the bedroom? Not an issue. You know what? Here's, here's what we're going to do. Take the whole house. Mom and I, we're going to go to dinner. There's, there's beer in the garage fridge. You guys enjoy yourself. And you know what? We'll text you when we're getting the bill, just so you know you got about 20 minutes or so. Okay? And as kids, we hear this and we go, now we're talking. Right? How, if we had done this, if we had instituted this like years ago, do you know the peace that we could have had? Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? Because they love you way too much to let you have your way. They love you way too much to have your way. And they know that you're going to stomp your feet when they say no. 
They know that when they put their foot down, they put boundaries up, they put guardrails up, they know it is going to remove the peace from that household. But they love you way too much to let you do whatever you want to do. In the same way, Scripture teaches us that God loves you way too much to let you have your own way. If you are a Christian, if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. That's what Scripture says. You are officially now a member of God's family. And like your family, God's family has rules. And as one of his children, if you choose to disobey those rules, you can do that. That's your prerogative. There is a price to pay. And so if you're a child of God and you would say, you know, it's I, I just like, I gotta be honest with you. Lately, I just feel like there's this weight on me. I just, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just this like tension. It's like the best way that I could describe it. And I can't exactly put my finger on it. There's just this unrest inside of me. That's God. That's God trying to get your attention. That is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who is trying to get you to connect the dots between your lack of happiness, your lack of peace, and your disobedience. What you see in the scripture is that God loves you as his children. He loves you way too much to let you be comfortable with activities and behaviors and mindsets and attitudes that will ultimately harm your life. So God will disrupt the peace in your life for as long as he has to, to get you back on the right track. John kind of dials in on this a little bit. And he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him, basically what he's saying here is, look, you're a Christian, not denying that, he goes, but if you say that you have fellowship with God, meaning that you and God are good, you and God are in lockstep, that you and God are peace, and yet you walk in darkness, meaning if you said yes to Jesus, he's given you that passport, and you now live in the kingdom of God, and you're claiming everything's all good, and yet you still somehow are living like you're a citizen of the nation of sin, get ready for how he describes this. He goes, we lie. Ooh, we lie. And do not practice the truth. That's rough to be called a liar. But John, at this point, is about 85 years old, maybe 90 years old, and if you've been around your grandparents who are that age, what happens? They lose their filter. They never care anymore. Eh, too old to mince words. I'm going to shoot you straight. And it stings. But it's true. John's like, if, if, if you pretend like you and God are all good, but you're doing whatever you want to do, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to your family. You're lying to all those people around you. And he would say, as a child of God who's blatantly disobeying God's rules, there are consequences to that. There are consequences. Now, you will not, now listen to this. You will not lose your salvation. Just like you didn't earn your salvation, you can't lose your salvation, but you will lose something when you disobey God. You will lose your peace. My old pastor, Dr. Larry Thompson, right down the road, First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, one time was talking about what it's like when Christians sort of continue to sort of live in sin even though they know they shouldn't. He said this, continuing in sin 
won't keep you out of heaven, but it will keep heaven out of your life. I thought it was one of the more profound things that man said. He's like, look, once you say yes to Jesus, once you've been saved, they're not going to pull your uh, passport back, okay? But you will lose the peace of heaven in the here and the now. And God wants you to experience that. God didn't send his son to die on that cross just to experience heaven in the future. He wants you to experience heaven in the here and the now. John doesn't uh, let off the pedal because he knows we'll try to wiggle around a little bit. He says this, if anyone says, I love God, but keeps on, that's that continuing in, keeps on hating his brother, he's a liar. There it is again. But this is that principle we've talked about in the beginning, that when you have peace with God, it equips you to make peace with other people. And so what John is saying here is, look, 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 You can't pretend you're all good with God if you're not doing what God has asked you to do. You've been forgiven by God. And if you're not actively forgiving other people in your life, you're disobeying the rules. If you won't make peace with other people, he's not going to give you peace. Because, he says, for if he doesn't love his brother who is right there in front of him, How can he love God whom he has never seen? In other words, you can't hate others and have peace with God. You can't hate others and have peace with others. And you can't hate others and have peace with yourself. Simply, you can't hate and be happy. And you know this to be true. So to sum it up, I would say this. Peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. And faith in Jesus is simply this. It's getting to a place where you say, I need something to to put all my weight on. I need something to put all my trust in because I want to make my way into the kingdom of God. And God looks at us and goes, I want you to put 100% of your trust in my son, Jesus Christ. I sent him so that you could be born again, so that I could transfer you out of the nation of sin and into the kingdom of God. I want to hand you that passport. Will you accept it? Will you accept it? The other thing we see is this, is that peace is sustained by submission to Jesus. Oh boy, that's not a good sign. Peace is sustained by submission to Jesus, okay? As Christians, as those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ, right? Here's what we need to do. Every single day, you need to wake up you need to look at God and you got to say, yes. Now, what was the question? Whatever it is, God, I'm here. What, 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 what's the plan? What's the rules? Your will, not my own. I might not understand it all, but I trust you as my heavenly father that you have my best interest at stake. Submission to Jesus Christ paves the way for peace. What's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen. Normally you could read it if it were up. Uh, There we go. Look at this. We're all synced up here too. Every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard on a Monday. 
But I want to do something a little different today. I don't want to focus on Monday. I just want to focus on the next moment. Because I have two questions for you guys. And, and there's a question for each group, because I believe that are, there are two groups in this room right now. And I believe there are two groups most likely watching online as we speak. And when you see the question, you're going to know which one's for you. And I just want honestly, I just want you to, to let your guard down. I want you to be honest. And I just want you to just, to just answer this question. First question is this. Have you made peace with God? Has there been a time in your life when you stopped and you looked at God and you said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. God, I don't don't understand it all, but I do believe that that, that, that you sent Jesus into this world and, and that because of him, I can be made right with you. I, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe that. I, I've, I've felt this void in my life and I've, I've tried to do whatever it takes, try to fill this void and nothing works. And I think, I think God, that void is Jesus Christ. In a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to have that conversation with God. But there are others of you in this room that have had that conversation. And so for you, this is, not a, this is not about faith. For you, it's about obedience. So let me ask you a question. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Or is the lack of obedience in your life wreaking havoc with your peace? Are there areas in your life that you just refuse to submit to the Lord? And you've got all of the excuses in the book. Call them mistakes. Call it a slip up. You could say, eh, I'm not sure the Bible really says this kind of a thing. Eh, I disagree when, the, when they say this. But you know, you know, you know. You are involved with behaviors or actions or attitudes or mindsets that your heavenly father, the family of which you are a part, the family that Jesus died on the cross to make you a part of, you know, they said, I want you involved in that because ultimately that thing will kill you. In just a minute, I'm going to invite Christian to come out and and play us a song. And in this moment, what, what I want you to do is, is my prayer is that for some of you today that you would, for the first time in your life, pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That, that, that in a conversation, just in your heart, between you and God, and you've been in other churches where you've seen this. Maybe there's a raising of hands, or there's a walking forward, and there's a praying of a formulaic prayer. I don't see that happening in the scripture. I believe it's a private moment between you and God. I would encourage you while you just listen to Christian sing, you would have that moment where you just lift up your burdens to God and maybe your prayer is as simple as, Jesus, save me. But I believe the words will come to you. And I believe that today can be a memory marker in your life where for the first time in your life, you had peace with God. The rest of us who've had that moment, My prayer for you 
is that in the next few moments, you would make it right with God. That that thing that's happening in your life, that activity, that behavior, that mindset, that thing that you've been struggling about, you know, submitting to the Lord, that thing that just makes you so uncomfortable, but you keep trying to push through it, I pray that in the next few moments, you would lay that at the altar, so to speak. You would lay that at Jesus' feet. You would lay it at God's feet and say, I'm done. I'm done. I want peace in my life. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. Scripture says that God is waiting there with open arms to extend an offer of peace to every single one of us. Why would we refuse that? It's such a beautiful gift. Why would we refuse that? Let me pray for you right now. Dear Holy Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and, and quite frankly talk about the most important conversation that I believe we could ever have in our entire lives. And Lord, I know that as humans, the one thing we so desperately want is peace with you. Eternal peace and peace in the here and now. God, I pray that you would move powerfully in this room. I pray, Lord, that, that, that perhaps today someone might know you as their God. That someone might know your son as their Lord and Savior. That today they could be born again. Could be forgiven of sin. Could be given a fresh start on life, Lord. What a gift. What a gift. And Lord, those of us who are just dragging around all that gunk. I pray that today we could leave that at your feet. Lord, even now, I am sure, I am sure, Lord, that we are pushing back against you, trying to ignore the signs that have been in front of us for so long. And I pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would let it burn inside of us, that thing that we need to release, that area of our life that we need to submit and God, when we do that, oh, what a freeing sensation. And peace can be restored. Thank you, Lord, for peace. Thank you for the gift of yourself. In Jesus' name we pray.